0: do you know what time it is it's supernatural story time and if you're easily scared and even if you're not there's only one thing left to do just turn off the lights because these are stories that you listen to only in the dark shadows on the wall volume four story number one me my husband and our two young sons moved into a basement house on Brushy Ridge Road. This was May of 1992. The first couple of weeks were pleasant. After that, things got really crazy. My husband was never home when things began happening. The first time I saw the ghost, it was a floating, shapeless white thing. This went on four more times a day for about two weeks. Then the ghost was still floating, shapeless, but now it was black. I have seen a lot of ghosts in my life, but none like this one. A couple of weeks went by like that. One morning, about 1 a.m., I was up and saw my husband off to work. When I went to my bedroom door, I saw an old wrinkled, disfigured face on my bed. There was nobody, just that face. It happened more times over a period of four months. I sat on a folded blanket, my sofa, the wall, even on a small bag in my bathroom. I truly believed my husband saw it that time. My oldest son, who was seven at the time, saw it in the kitchen in the middle of the night, but it was a black figure of a man when it appeared to him. I heard someone walking on my roof every night and never found any footprints. My dog would bark and growl at night and look in a specific direction. I know he saw it, too. I always felt someone watching me and following me. It was so creepy. It watched me leave and waited for me to come home. At last, I began seeing headlights and hearing a pickup truck that sounded just like the one we had. This only happened when my husband had to truck away with him. The headlights were only at dusk or dark. I don't know how many you believe in spirit possession, but I do. It was happening to me in that horrible basement house. I began getting violent with my husband. I threw things at him, hit him, screamed obscenities, and threatened him. I was verbally mean with my two sons. The last thing that happened could have been deadly. I grabbed a gun and was going to shoot myself. My husband got it from me and held me down on the bed. I remember screaming at him that I hated him. Over and over, I said things. My husband told my grandmother that my eyes turned from blue to black, and there was like fire shooting from them. I don't remember most of the last incident. I blacked out. We immediately moved back to New Martinsville, but my story doesn't quite end there. My tormentor followed me. In a new place, the ghost appeared as a black figure. It would be there every night tormenting me. I thought I was going crazy. It would walk back and forth through my trailer at night. The last time the ghost appeared, it was behind me. I could feel it there. I just lost it to the point of screaming at it to leave me and my home. It worked. I've had a couple of other experiences, but none. As bad as that one. Story number two. I will start at the beginning. It was mid-January 2002 and I was in a hurry to finish a term paper for my advanced placement writing class when lucky for me my printer broke. My last resort was to head over to my mother's office which is located in the old Frederick Hotel in Huntington. Here's a bit of history and background that helps explain my story. The hotel was built in the early 1900s And remained the finest hotel in the tri-state area until the 1970s when she closed her doors and was converted into an office building. It was a Sunday afternoon and the old hotel was deserted when I was finishing my paper. Now I had heard numerous tales of the building being inhabited by several different ghosts and people who occupied the place in the day heard footsteps and unusual noises on a daily basis. However being the brave person I am I thought nothing of those stories as I entered the building. Because it was a Sunday, you had to get a key to both get in and out of the building. I was basically locked in. I sat down in the grand lobby where my mother worked and began typing. The familiar elevator music was playing throughout the lobby as I typed and brainstormed. This is the same music that comes from a satellite radio station with no interruptions, not even in between songs. I was about my business when all of a sudden, the music stopped right in the middle of a song. I thought this was odd, when abruptly I heard a woman's blood-curdling scream that pierced the quietness of the entire building. Quickly the scream stopped, and the music kicked right back on, where it had left off in the middle of a song. I was so frightened. I was frozen and didn't know what to do. Fumbling with my keys, I ran out of the building and called my mother to come pick me up. Unfortunately, I had to go back in and finish my paper. Since that fateful day, I have had several more encounters with the spirits of the old Frederick Hotel. I was in the bathroom, fixing my hair, another Sunday, not long after the first incident, when I heard a person walk by jangling what sounded like keys. I opened the door as soon as I heard it, and just thought, well, I wonder who that is, but there was no person to be found. Through several sources, I have also learned that a murder-suicide occurred in the hotel several years ago, In addition, a man who used to work at the old hotel and actually lived in the building said he had ghosts who lived in his room and claimed they would argue at night. Now, I am working in the Frederick building myself and I have been to several areas that most people will never see. I visited the old ballroom and taken a tour of the unfinished hotel wing with old hotel rooms and all. I also went up to the supposedly haunted sixth floor which was home to a law firm. But since they moved out, no one will stay or rent the entire floor. Finally, I went on an excursion to the basement where the old health club and spas of the hotel were located as with the underground tunnels that used to connect the haunted Keith Alby Theater with the Frederick Hotel. I will tell you that every word that I have said is 100% true. Why would I waste my time telling this story if it wasn't? And one last note, I'm still afraid to be in this building alone. Next story. This is a ghostly story experienced by my cousins. As a child growing up in Dunbar, I always loved visiting my favorite cousins in Kenna, Jackson County. I could hardly wait for the time we would spend playing in the woods, riding horses, and all the things country children get to do. So I was always a bit disappointed when I wasn't often asked to spend the night. On one occasion, my two cousins and I stayed up until 5 in the morning playing Barbies. This was unusual, but they insisted we play till daylight. Years later, when they moved, they finally told me they were afraid. I would never come back if I experienced the ghost. My entire family found this hilarious until further explanation came forth. Things flew off shelves, items just disappeared, and strange noises and smells were frequent. On one occasion, my eldest cousin, Lori, and her friends were sleeping in her bed, and a very large black figure came out of the closet and stood by the bed. Needless to say, the friend never spent the night again. The haunted activity always happened in Lori's bedroom, and after years of this, her mother finally shared these events with a neighbor, only to be informed that about two years prior to them moving in, the former owner had indeed committed suicide in what was now Lori's bedroom. My cousin looked this up, and indeed the woman had shot herself in the head Around 3 p.m. one evening, she had baked a batch of brownies, laid them on the kitchen table for her children, who would be shortly arriving home from school, then went to her bedroom and killed herself. Needless to say, my cousin sold this house as soon as possible. I have no more information on this, but I know it's something rarely discussed with them. I still wonder about the goings-on in that house today and get a little chill just thinking about it. Next story. This story was told to me by my father several years ago in the early 1950s my father and uncle had decided to go deer hunting and arranged to spend the night at a co-workers farmhouse so that they could get an early start the next day arriving later that evening they quickly unpacked their car in the gathering gloom and took their luggage and weapons to their room later that evening they were given a late supper by their host and then adjourned with them to be in the living room for the pleasure of their company and conversation Sometime later, the mistress of the house excused herself and went upstairs to get the children ready for bed. A noisy argument broke out somewhere upstairs, and my uncle turned to the farmer and asked him how many children did he have. The farmer replied that he had four children. The next morning, my father and uncle got dressed before dawn and came down to the kitchen for breakfast. The children were still asleep, but the farmer and his wife had gotten up to prepare breakfast for the hunters and see them off. After breakfast, my father was sitting in a chair beside the fireplace putting his boots on, and my uncle was standing behind him near the stairs. A little girl, perhaps five years of age, came down the steps and walked over to warm herself by the fire alongside my father. She was dressed in a long gray flannel nightgown, and her long blonde hair were in braids. My uncle observed her for several minutes as she stood by silently watching my father put on his boots. She then walked across the room and headed into the kitchen. My father finished with his boots, stood up, and began to load the car. My uncle went to help him. After the car was loaded, my father and uncle went back into the house to thank the farmer and his family for their hospitality. By this time the house was awake and the children had come down for breakfast and were seated at the kitchen table. My uncle and father walked into the kitchen to talk with the farmer and as they were leaving my uncle noticed that the little girl was not seated at the table. He turned to the farmer and asked him where his daughter was. The farmer looked very puzzled at the statement and quickly said that he didn't have any daughters, only four sons. My uncle jokingly turned to my father and asked him to describe the girl that had stood beside him at the fireplace. My father told me that he looked my uncle straight in the eye and told him that he didn't have any idea what he was talking about. Neither he nor my father or anyone else in the house had seen the girl and to their knowledge the sighting. Was a one-time event in the household to this day my uncle swears he watched the ghost watch my father put on his boots my father swears uncle's half asleep and dreamt the whole thing next story i was seven years old and living in mingo county west virginia in a small community called Chatteroy. my father uncle and my four brothers were on our front porch at dusk and beginning of dark We were laughing, talking, and swinging when we heard a noise coming from the creek in front of our house. We lived in an old mining camp area, and the road in front of our house was an old railroad track. The track had long since gone, but the bridge was still there and being used for automobile traffic. The bridge was directly in front of our house. The noise sounded like someone walking in the creek with boots on or with a high step. This was not uncommon in our area as the kids often walked the creek to catch minnows to go fishing. Therefore, at first, we didn't pay much attention. However, as time passed, the sound became louder, so we all turned to see who was walking in the creek at this time of day. We could hear the sound, and it was almost upon us. At the sound got louder, we saw a figure walking in the creek, but at first, we couldn't see who it was. Then the person was clear. We could see that the person was wearing a suit and a white shirt with a high collar. The problem was he had no head. At first, my dad thought it was a joke, so he shot at the figure and we all started walking towards the creek. Actually we ran toward the creek. My brothers, who were all older than me, wanted to get to the guy to see what he was doing. When we got to the creek, the guy was passing by in front of us and we could see clearly that he was about six foot tall and no head. We looked at each other and just stared at the guy. My dad was silent and my uncle ran to the bridge to see what the guy looked like when he came out from under the bridge. We all ran to the bridge to look down on the guy. We waited and waited, but he didn't come out from under the bridge. One of my brothers ran back to see if he had stopped underneath, but there was no one there. While my uncle and dad stayed on one side of the bridge, we all went to go through to make sure the guy wasn't hiding. He wasn't. We were all shaken and somewhat scared. My dad had to keep telling me it was okay and he could explain what happened. He told my brothers and me, that when the train still ran up the hollow, a guy was going to his wedding and was walking down the track when he fell and his head was taken off by a train. This accident had occurred on the bridge in front of my house. They had said that if the guy had walked down the creek, he would have still been alive. From that point on, we never looked when we heard noises coming from the creek. In fact, we all went inside and made a point of not looking. To this day, the bridge is believed to be haunted and the guy is still walking under the bridge next story it was not a day for paranormal occurrences the summer day was so bright and beautiful that I felt the need to spend most of it outside in the swimming pool being 16 and having the summer all for myself was wonderful especially when I was home alone after coming inside and fixing something to eat I sat down on the couch and tuned on the television my little dog Gimli a Dotson mix was sound asleep beside me Suddenly Gimli bolted upright and ran to the bottom of the stairs, which led up to the second level of the house, and began barking and growling furiously. I recalled how shock I felt at such unusual behavior from her, and I told her twice to be quiet and stop that. Then I heard it. What sounded like a woman in high heels started from the very back of the upstairs, walking through the hall, then into my parents' bedroom, which was over the living room, and back out into the hallway my shock, she then began making her way down the stairs. By this point, I was on my feet and staring curiously at the steps, and Gimli, who was still carrying on like mad, I watched and listened as this high-heeled phantom walked down the steps. Finally, when she reached the middle, I managed to say, who's there? The sounds abruptly ceased. I was not the only one to hear the high-heeled phantom that summer. My sister, Jack, was home with me another day, and she heard it as well. I heard it several more times that summer, and it continued into the fall. But after that, it was never heard again. Next story. In the old house on Tupper's Creek Road in Sissonville, West Virginia, deep in the hollow where Grandma raised her children, many unusual things occurred. One story of unusual activity took place one brisk October morning, while Grandpa sucking firewood in the shed, preparing the winter. The winters were brutal in 1920s, West Virginia. Grandma always made sure she had canned plenty of food for the winter as well. Grandpa was nearly done stacking the wood when suddenly they heard a loud disturbance in the house, rustling and what sounded like a mad dog growling and snarling and knocking over furniture. The noise was so loud it could be heard clearly in the woodshed some twenty yards from the house. Fearing for the safety of my infant father who was sleeping in his crib, my grandpa grabbed a pitchfork and started running towards the house. The noise seemed to get louder and the commotion more intense the closer grandpa got to the house. Not knowing what to expect, grandpa finally reached the back porch and dashed up the steps and pushed to open the door with the extended pitchfork, only to find complete silence. Grandma soon reached the house as well and quickly went to the bedroom to find the baby sleeping peacefully in his crib, having never even awakened by the commotion. Grandma and Grandpa thoroughly searched the house but found nothing out of place, not so much as a crooked picture on the wall. No evidence that anything or anybody had been in the house. For Grandma and Grandpa, it was just another unexplainable event at that old house way back in the holler. It wasn't the first one, and certainly would not be the last next story this happened back about 2003 2002 and after that I moved to Minnesota but back then I'd lived most of my life in a little holler called Chapman branch located on North Folk Road just outside of the town of Chapmansville I was about 17 when this occurred it was early fall around the first week of squirrel season it was about noon and I was walking through the woods just beyond my uncle's house when I heard a strange noise like a low growl coming from the underbrush about 100 yards ahead of me, around the curve in the hillside, it started out as a low growling noise, but then it got louder, and the pitch got higher. It got so high that it was like a scream, but much louder. I've heard panthers, bears, and just about every other kind of animal in those woods, but this was like nothing I'd ever heard before. I was so frightened, I clenched the grip of the 12-gauge shotgun I had so tightly that I thought it would break. I could think of nothing but to get ready to shoot if anything came around that hill. I stepped about two feet over the side of the road and put my back to a tree to keep myself standing. I watched the bend in the hillside for about 30 seconds. That's all the time it took me to decide to get the heck out of there. I slowly stepped back onto the road and began to ease my way back down the road towards my uncle's house, with the thing, whatever it was, still screeching like crazy. When I got about twenty feet from where I had been standing, when I first heard the thing, I took off in a dead sprint right past my uncle's house, towards my grandmother's house, which was on down the holler. My uncle met me halfway there on his horse. He jumped off his horse, grabbed me, and asked what happened. I told him what I heard, and he said it was probably a bear. I agreed with him, not wanting him to think I was nuts. But neither my uncle nor I went into the woods for the rest of that day. Even now, living here in Minnesota, when I'm in the woods alone, I never feel really alone. Next story. In the 1950s, I often went to my relatives in Wirt County to visit on the weekends. The procedure was to drop them a postcard early in the week saying I would take the Greyhound bus to the stop where they would pick me up. I did exactly that one week or so before Thanksgiving in the early 50s. When the bus dropped me off, it was almost dark and there were no familiar faces waiting for me. I just thought I could walk towards the direction I knew they would be driving as I knew the road well. I passed all the houses and I knew the families, and then it started getting darker and darker, and still no sign of my aunt or my uncle. As I got further and further into the holler, I heard something start following me, off to the right. When I stopped to listen, it stopped. I began to get a little scared. I kept trekking and started singing every song I knew because I was not trying to stay in the middle of the dirt road and just get to my relative's house. I came to the old West house and decided to stop and ask for help. Well, Mrs. West nearly had a heart attack when she opened her door to my knock. She dragged me inside and said, Lord child, what are you doing out here at this time of night? I explained why I was there and insisted I was walking the rest of the way down the holler and all I wanted was a flashlight. Against her better judgment, she gave me an old rickety flashlight and I set off again. The minute I got back on the dirt road, so did whatever was following me. It kept to the right side of the road again. I made it to my aunt's house and every dog they owned came bounding out to bark at me and whatever was following me bounded up the side of the holler. I never got so much fussing at in my life from my relatives and eventually my mother in Parkersburg. I was told there were all kinds of wildlife out there. And it could have been a wildcat or a bear and it could have eaten me. Turns out my aunt never received my card saying I was coming that weekend. Also that weekend visit turned into the Thanksgiving blizzard of the century in West Virginia. We were snowbound for several days. I don't know what followed me but it scared a little 11 year old girl. and gave my family something to talk about for a very long time. In 1994 I visited that part of Wirt County and remembered the long trek I took that night thought about what might have been following me. Who knows? I don't. Next story. I can remember this as if it were yesterday. My aunt and uncle called begging Mom and Dad to bring us boys and come spend the night with them. They lived up on West Fork of Hearts Creek. They didn't have any children, and they said they really got lonely. Mom said on day that we could spend the night That night, after Dad got home from work, Mom packed up a bag and my uncle came to get us. Mom said Sis probably wanted me to clean her house. We spent that evening just sitting around talking and had a nice supper. When it came to bedtime, they both insisted on us sleeping in their bedroom and they would sleep in the living room. Mom pulled back the bed covers and put us boys in the middle. She and Dad turned off the lights and lay beside us. Just about the time we started to go to sleep, we heard the closet door squeaked, and it flew open. We heard a scuffling sound like someone with house slippers was coming towards the bed. Then the corner of the bed at the bottom sank down. Dad jumped up and turned on the light. The closet door was wide open. He shut it and turned a big three-inch woodlock on it. He lay back down, turned off the light, and all night long, I kept doing the same thing. Morning came, and we were all worn out. Mom said, don't say a word about this to your aunt and uncle. First thing they asked at breakfast was, how did you sleep last night? Dad and Mom both spoke up, saying just fine. They insisted that we please spend one more night and that they would take us home the next day. When it came time for bedtime, they insisted on us sleeping in that room again. Dad tied a string to the light and tied it to the bedpost. He made sure the lock was locked and turned out the lights. All night long, it did the same stuff. Just as soon as he pulled down the light, the indentation on the bed was gone, and nothing could be seen. Next morning, same question was asked. This time, Mom just dropped her head on the table and said, We were killed. We haven't had a wink of sleep in two nights. That's all we wanted to hear, they said. We can't sleep in that room. There's a haunt in there. Which, in other words, is a ghost. We just thought we were going crazy. Now we know it's really haunted. After mom calmed down from wanting to whip her sister, they got to talking about the room. My aunt and uncle started discussing stuff that was in the closet. Uncle had been in Saipan during the war. For a souvenir, he had brought back a Japanese sword and a belt and a pair of Japanese shoes. They looked like flip-flops. He had them in the smokehouse, but had brought them in back in the spring because the smokehouse was leaking really bad. He got them out of there that same day she said bury them up on the hill and he said i can't he told us the story how he was in a manhole and he heard the enemy coming towards him all the military were ordered to stay in their manholes and if they heard someone it was an enemy and to fire he said the next morning he found the enemy dead that he had shot him and killed him he took his money and belt with bullet holes in it and the shoes and japanese sword as a souvenir he took it Put in a box and buried it somewhere on the hill behind their house. No one ever mentioned hearing anything else again. Poor old uncle, he was, but then till the day he died, he was scared of haunts, but with good reason. Next story My first experience with the paranormal came in the early 1970s when my parents, sisters, and I were living in Calhoun County, West Virginia. At first, we were living in town. due to circumstances beyond our control, we had to move. It was short notice, but Dad came through and found a house for us to rent. He said it was out of town. He just neglected to say how far. It was five miles out of town and two miles up a holler. We were the only house on that branch of the holler. It was not what you would expect a haunted house to look like, at least not to my seven-year-old mind. Ghosts lived in castles and old deserted houses, not like the little white one-story house with a sun porch that I saw before me. Oh, how wrong I was. So many unusual things happened there. Where do I begin? And it was not just in the house. The whole place seemed to be alive with spirits. In broad daylight you would hear the sounds of galloping horses and the sounds of men's voices, but when you looked outside there was nothing to be seen. Every morning we would hear the sounds of a car pulling up outside the house. Then you would hear two car doors slam then the sound of someone walking across the sun porch, but just as the footsteps reached the front door, nothing. It was just gone. My older sister and I shared a bedroom at the time, and the room we slept in apparently was already taken when we moved in. At night, someone or something walked up and down between our beds. The room was constantly cold, and you always had that feeling that someone was looking at you. Once my mom got up in the night to go to the bathroom and on her way back to bed she saw light at our bedroom window. She stopped to watch it and make sure it was not some hunter messing around the house, but as she watched the light got bigger and brighter until she saw a ghostly face in the window. It frightened her and she gasped and when she did it disappeared. However, I think the most frightening part of the whole experience was the shadow. It was a shadow of a man. He wore fedora and a long coat. He was solid black, and he gave you the feeling of something vile, evil, and cruel. My experience with the shadow came just a few days before we moved from there. My sister and I stayed up late to watch a movie, and I had to go to the bathroom before going to sleep. I opened the door to the bedroom and started across the living room when I saw him. He looked right at me. I saw his head turn towards me, and I swear he looked at me. I have never been so scared in all my life. I do not think I even breathed While we well, stood there looking at each other, then I just ran. After my sister calmed me down, she went out and looked, but he was gone. As I said, a few days later we moved, and I was never so happy to move. Within the next few months, several families lived in the little white house at the end of the holler, but they never stayed long. Finally, someone bought it and completely remodeled it. I hoped that the dark entity has gone back wherever it was he came from. Next story. Back in the spring of 2002, my mother-in-law began to show signs of a terminal illness. She was losing weight and wasn't doing well at all. We tried to get her to go to the hospital, but she was very stubborn and refused. My husband and I talked, and we decided that we needed to take turns staying with her at night. He stayed the first night, and the next night I stayed. I had worked all day and was very tired. I figured that she would be weak and tired and ready for bed, but she was in a talking mood and she sat for hours telling me stories and telling me things she said I needed to know. She told me that my sister-in-law was dangerous and that she had it in for me and her. She said, I've never told anyone this before. It was like she needed to warn me of things. She said, after I'm gone, she will never let you have any peace if you don't set her straight. I just sat there because I had never known she didn't like us. Finally, she said, you need your rest and we were off to bed. She wanted me to sleep with her but I told her that I would sleep in the guest room but would keep an eye on her and she laughed. I went right off to sleep. I began to dream this wild nightmare. I dreamed that my poor sick mother-in-law had lost her mind and was chasing me with a gun through the house, out the door and I was half in my car trying to get the keys in the ignition and pulling out With her right hand, she began chasing the car. I woke up with my heart in my mouth. I couldn't go back to sleep. A few days later, she finally got so weak she couldn't walk. Finally, we got her to the hospital. They told us she had liver cancer and was dying. She never left the hospital. A few days later, she went completely off. She had the strength of a man. She pulled her restraints loose and downed two nurses. It was the toxins from her liver and she never did come back to us. After her funeral, a few days passed. We had moved out and was going through her belongings at the house. We went to change her bed and we found a gun and a knife under her pillow. I thought that was the end of my dream. What if she had gotten up and went out of her mind and killed me? After the funeral, we had a big family argument, just as she had predicted. Until this day, we had not made up with my husband's brother and sister-in-law. We don't even know why she was mad at us. A few days later, I was in her house, alone with work, packing her things and trying to organize stuff. A sudden feeling came over me. It was the weirdest feeling. It felt like a hot flash and an icy cold feeling. My hair rose on my head and arms. I could hear something saying to me, Lock the door now. It said now really loud. I walked over to the door and locked it. I came back through the hallway and I heard a car pull in and footsteps coming up onto the porch. I looked out and saw my sister-in-law coming in. I started to open up the door when that voice said again, No, don't open that door. About that time, I heard her cursing me and beating on the door. If I had opened that door, she was planning on hurting me. She was threatening me and looked wild out of her eyes, just like the dream. She went back to her car. She was screaming and hitting her husband. I picked up a towel holder for a weapon and slipped out the back door. I ran to her cousin's house. He said he kept trying to get out the door to go to church, but something kept holding him back. He let me in and said, you're safe with me. She came to his door, rambling on and on. He told her there would be no fighting in his mom and aunt's house. She left with all intentions of hurting me. He followed me home, and later that night, when I went to sleep, My mother-in-law came to me in my dreams again. She said, I was trying to warn you that night that you stayed with me, that she hated you, me and my son. I was afraid of her. That's why I kept that gun under my pillow. I wasn't going to hurt you. She said, don't worry. She will never lay a hand on you. It's been three years and I have not laid eyes on her. If she ever does run into me, I trust that I have a guardian angel, my mother-in-law, ready to lay her out. I think that dreams don't all have meanings, but if you dream in color and the dream is vivid, that it's a warning from someone which is out of our control. So please take heed to when you have dreams like that.